Good morning. Today's reading is from the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity, with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Yeah, good. You said it back. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to ECC. Um, those of you who have been here throughout the summer, glad to see you. Those of you who are back, glad to see you. Those who are new, especially glad to see you. So thanks for coming. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, that was Professor Linda Stroman up here that played the oboe. She's a professor at Jacob School. Uh, she's internationally known as an oboist. Um, Linda and other people like her are a great blessing to this church. I just wanted to say thank you, Linda, for that beautiful piece. God bless you. Also, thanks to Adam for joining our team. He joined in spite of me. That was the biggest hang-up. Can I work with this guy? But he got over it. And uh, there's only one problem. I've, it occurred to me this morning, Adam, that... You inspire me to sing so much that when I get up here to preach, I'm going to be hoarse. It's not going to work, but I'll do my best. Hey, Adam, why don't you introduce your family to us? Well, I think Ella's the only one who's here with you. Go ahead. <laughs> Underground. Yeah, yeah. Room's <laughs> They'll take good care of them. Yeah, yeah. We're glad, glad you're here. Also, uh, John mentioned that following this worship service for all college students um, and a few of us lucky old people who work with your college students, we get to eat out there in the uh, gathering space or in the courtyard. We got burgers. We got hot dogs. We got potato salad. We got potato chips. We got drinks. We got all kinds of stuff, so please join us. The other thing I wanted to mention is next week, that's the 26th, we kick off Connection which is a special college service on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. 
and um, you can decide whether or not you want to come after I finish preaching, because I'm going to be there speaking every Sunday night, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, we really want you to come. It's a great time to be together uh, and to worship God um, as the body of Christ. So my message this morning is straight out of our heart. If you have a bulletin in your hand, in the upper right-hand corner of that bulletin, there's a phrase that says, reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in a college town. That's a, that's a vision statement for us. Sometimes we say reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in Bloomington and beyond because we send people out all the time. We have been always a receiving and equipping and ascending church. And I want to actually think about that phrase and why we chose it. You might say to yourself, well, you know, that phrase could be chosen by any church. It could be. And perhaps there's churches that have chosen phrases like this to reflect themselves. But you might expect we chose it for a reason. So, two points and then conclusion. First question, why redeeming grace? Why do we choose those words? One reason we chose those words is because redeeming grace is the story of the entire Bible from start to finish. It begins in Genesis when Adam and Eve fall, walk into sin, and create all kinds of chaos. In the middle of that fallenness, that story, God speaks into their life. And he basically says this, I am going to use the problem to fix the problem. I'm not going to declare from outside the reality of humanity, you guys are all forgiven. Here's what I'm going to do. Through your seed, Eve, your broken, degenerate, sinful seed, through your seed, I'm going to raise up a person who will crush the head of the serpent, namely Satan, and destroy the works of darkness. And I'm going to do it. Eve, Eve, through you. Eve, the one who took the fruit. Adam, the one who was complicit in the whole thing. I'm going to take you two people. And out of your loins, I'm going to fix the problem. How do we see that in retrospect in the New Testament? We see it as a prophecy concerning Jesus. The person who was God and is God became flesh. And through the seed of a woman, the second Eve called her Mary, Christ was conceived. And Jesus Christ stood in our place with all his flesh and with all his divinity, and he died a horrible death. So that horrible death could be the vehicle for our redemption. Not just because he made a sacrifice. I don't mean to sound demeaning, 
anybody can make a sacrifice. But because he made a sacrifice and he rose again. He said, I'm going to die by my own volition. And my death, because I'm fully God and fully man, is going to overcome the stranglehold of death and sin. And I'm going to break it. And I'm coming out of the grave, and that's for everybody. I'm going to fix the problem. And I'm going to do it in my body. That's the story of redemption that begins at the very first. And the story continues on. You've got a time in the history of the world where things have gone chaotic. Things are out of control. There's nobody who's following God according to the book of Genesis. And God says, i got to redeem this thing. i got to bring it back. I'm going to bring a gigantic flood. And I'm going to choose some people who hear my voice and are called by my name. I'm going to start all over with those people. And I'm going to restore and redeem my humanity. You know that story. It's the story of Noah. Noah and his family enter the ark. And they are the vehicle of God's redemption. It continues. A man named Abraham came out of nowhere. I mean, spiritually, out of nowhere. He's a mysterious character. He just shows up at Ur of the Chaldees, and God says, you're my guy. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you to bless the whole world. So leave your country and come to a foreign land where there's no possibility that you're going to be known or famous or rich. I just want you to follow me. So Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees, which was the birthplace of civilization. It's where everything was. It was the New York City of the Middle East. He leaves, and he comes to Canaan, which is... Worse than any of the backcountry you ever saw in this country. It's nowheresville. Beautiful, but nowhere. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to redeem the entire world through you. That's God's story of redemption. And we know in retrospect, as Christians, we see that story of redemption that came through Abraham as the story of Jesus Christ. Abraham's descendants fall into slavery in Egypt, and after they fall into slavery, once again, God redeems. He calls a man named Moses, and he says, lead them out. Follow me, and I'll protect you. And he leads them across the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are drowned in the wake. And after he leads them across the Red Sea for the next 40 years, they are fools. They screw up over and over again. They fall into sin over and over again. And there's time when it seems like God's going to wipe them out. And Moses says, no, don't do it. you got a plan, God. You told me about it. It's redemption for humanity. Don't do that. And God says, okay. You called me out, Moses. I'm going to preserve this people. And I'm going to redeem them. And he marched them across a desolate desert where any other group of people would have died. And he preserved them and he gave them promised land. You, you know, after that, the rest of the story is a cycle of redemption. Those people who have been blessed by God who are now in the land refuse to follow God and fall into sin and oppression comes from the outside and then God redeems them. And it happens again, and God redeems them. And it happens again, and God says, I will not give up on you. I'm going to redeem you. Why? Because the entire story of the Bible is redeeming grace. That's why we chose those words. 
And the redeeming grace, of course, doesn't just end there. It finds its culmination in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. We choose the words redeeming grace because it's just the story of the Bible. We choose the words redeeming grace because it indicates that we've been chosen. You remember the passage that we just read from Ephesians chapter 1? By the way, some people have a favorite verse. I do as well. Some people have a favorite passage. This one is mine. I love Ephesians chapter 1. I just love it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ because he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy. He adopted us as his children to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have, you guessed it, redemption. God redeemed us because we couldn't redeem ourselves. God chose us because we couldn't choose God. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 1, you're probably saying, yeah, Bob, there's this controversial thing in there called predestination. I know that. Predestined before the foundation of the world. You know what it's easy to do? It's easy to get in a debate about that and what it means. I'm not interested in doing that. If you want to do it, one-on-one, I'm happy to talk about it. The reason I'm not interested in doing that is because that's not really the purpose of the text. You know what the purpose of that text is? Not to debate what being chosen is, but to adore God for choosing you. Being chosen doesn't negate your will. It gives you a will. Being chosen allows you to choose. God says, you are mine. Now you can choose me. And that should do nothing more nor less than place us in a position of adoration, which is why Paul starts out. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's done this. I couldn't have done it for myself. Now I can choose him because he chose me. We use the words redeeming grace because they imply something. They imply that we need a rescue. They imply that we're absolutely not capable on our own of achieving righteousness, any kind of goodness, or ascending to God the Father. We don't have what it takes, my friends. We need a rescue. So, most of you, I think, know that I didn't go to Trinity Evangelical School, Divinity School or Southern Baptist Theological Seminary or any of the great seminaries that are in the evangelical tradition. I actually went to Yale Divinity School. And one of the things you learn when you're in a different Christian context is language is different, right? Certain phrases you use, you don't know you use them all the time, but they might be a little foreign to some other people or not as used. And I began to realize that early on. To put it straight up, I just was different. I I was speaking a different language. I seemed like an oddball. I went as an oddball, and I left as an oddball. And 
I'm not denigrating my education. It was wonderful. I appreciate it to the depths of my soul. But I'll never forget one poignant moment. I had decided to follow God's call into the ministry, which I didn't choose. It was chosen for me. (laughs) Didn't plan to do it. Didn't want to do it. But God said, no chance. I got you. Follow me. So, instead of pursuing a career in philosophy, I pursued a career in ministry. Too bad for you guys, right? But I did. (laughs) Here we are. And part of the process of ministry is to be ordained. And I was ordained in a mainline denomination where the language wasn't quite the same as the language I used growing up. And you had to go through what they call an ordination examination. You had to present a paper. Then you had to deliver the paper. Then you had to be grilled by people. And the people were area ministers from all over the Connecticut region and professors from Yale and people like that. So I got up and delivered my paper. Lots of interesting questions. I don't mind questions. I like them. Matter of fact, I like living outside the context of my own comfort zone, which is why I teach sport history at Indiana University, huh? I, I love being somewhere else other than just in the church. So on that occasion, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was some man. He stood up and he said to me, um, Mr. Whitaker, in reading your paper and listening to your delivery, <clears throat> I hear a phrase that you repeat several different times about being saved. Like, if you came from my background, it's like, well, of course. Everybody talks that way. I don't know what the question was for. I don't know if it was a setup or if it was an honest question. Like, what's that? But he said, so what is it you need to be saved from? And quicker than he could finish the question, the answer popped out of my mouth. I said, I need to be saved from me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm overcome by sin. I don't need to be saved from a system. I don't need to be saved from an ideology. I need to be saved from me. The problem's right here. You wouldn't believe how many strange looks were on the faces of the people who heard that. Why? Because really, my friends, that's right at the core of the gospel, and really, it's the part we don't want to embrace. We want to say we we need to be saved from something, but not ourselves. We want to say we need to be saved from not doing it good enough, but not really from us. We need to be rescued, says the Bible. We need to be rescued from our propensity to walk away from God and not toward God. We need to be saved from our inclination to sin and to do self-destructive things and not just actions self-destructive patterns of thinking. We need to be saved from us. And that's why we choose redeeming grace. Grace, unmerited favor that rescues. 
The second phrase in our vision statement is transforming truth. Why transforming truth? Because when I accept this redeeming grace for what it is, the truth of that redeeming grace and the truth of Scripture, it transforms my identity. I become alive in Christ. Take a look at the same book, second chapter in Ephesians 1 through 10. I was once dead, dead as a doornail, and my trespasses had been to sin. I was a self-willed young man who was raised in a loving Christian home and wanted to have nothing to do with God. I had my own agenda. And then because of grace, on July 17, 1977, God arrested my soul and I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know what happened after that? My life was transformed. My identity changed. The transforming truth of being a child of God got deep within my bones. It didn't make me perfect, but it gave me a compass. It didn't make me smart, but it gave me wisdom. And it gave me love. Because I've been showered on by the love of God. And then I realized that I was created for good works. Also, as Ephesians says, created for good works that God had prepared in advance for me to do. And it transformed me, that truth. That transforming truth, which is the phrase we use, it transformed my life. For the first time, I was actually able because God allowed me to choose. I was actually able to live the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, self-control. It transformed my life. It made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. Here's something else it did. This redeeming grace, when the transforming truth invaded my life, it changed my thinking forever. The world wasn't the same. By the way, you know there's a lot of facts out there in the world that are secular facts. And they're absolutely true. A lot of you are going to start on Monday morning at a university that prides itself in distributing knowledge to young minds. Thank God for that. You're going to learn some things that are stunning that you've never thought of before. And you're going to learn some things that are absolutely true. You will. But here's the thing. What you learn is incomplete. Even when it's absolutely true. Just an example. 
medicine tells us all about our bodies. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm doing physical therapy right now after a surgery. I am so glad that that guy has the knowledge to tell me what to do and what not to do. Medicine gives us all kinds of wonderful information about our body. But you know what medicine doesn't say? It doesn't say your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what government does, good government? It constructs laws that are just. And hopefully it does a marvelous job of doing that. But it doesn't tell us that the real problem with justice is the human heart. It doesn't speak to that condition. If you think about business, especially if you're a Kelly School person, right? You're going to learn how to make a lot of money. You may learn what it means to be a CEO. You might be one of those guys who's into like the computer technology world. You might be the person who's the next Bill Gates or something. But you know what business doesn't tell you? It doesn't tell you that everything you have is a gift from God. And that the more you earn, the more you should give to the kingdom of God. You're being blessed for a reason, but you don't get that part of it. You know, you shouldn't expect that those entities would communicate that wisdom. It's not their job. It's not the job of the Kelly Business School to tell you to make a lot of money so that you can invest it in the kingdom of God. That would be weird. It's not their job. And quite frankly, whether it's government or business or medicine, and the list goes on, I'm glad they don't try to do it because it's our job. And we don't need it to be institutionalized in that university or in our government. What we need to do is allow the transforming truth of Jesus Christ to change us so we can share it with the world. That's our job. So what about us? What do we do? Here's what we could do. And I pray that we don't. Here's what we could do. We could say, I've been chosen by God and I'm delighted. I am specially a child of God unlike any other people that I work with in my particular workplace. I am just so delighted. You could become so introspective and so self-absorbed that you could turn the reality of the good news into the wrong kind of news. That it's just about you. The good news is not about you. It is about you, but it's about you for a reason. I love the saying that somebody give, gave one time, I don't even know the author, who said that the church 
is the only human institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Don't you love that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the religion that exists for the benefit of its unbelievers. It's for you and I to reflect the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ so that it could be for the praise of the glory of God in this world. So what do we do with this redeeming grace and this transforming truth? We speak a message of hope. You know how hopeless our world is. How torn apart, how angry, how much division. We use our story of redeeming grace and transforming truth to speak hope into the world. There was a class that was offered to undergraduates at Yale University a year or so ago. You know what the title of the class was? Something like, what's the meaning of life? You know what the class size was? They couldn't find a lecture hall big enough for the people who signed up. This is a message of hope, my friends. And we've got it, and we've experienced it. Let's share the hope. Here's the other thing we need to do as a church. We need to live this message, not just with words. We need to live this message in love. We don't need to be filled with hate-filled speech. We don't need to condemn other people for their lifestyle. We don't need to go after people. We actually don't even need to win arguments. What we need is we need to live this message in love, and love will overwhelm people when nothing else will. When an argument will never touch their heart, love will make its way through the cracks of their soul. Because God is love. So we share this message with love. Not with angry words. And finally, we just reflect this grace to the world. I remember when we were crafting this statement and we went round and round and round about how to open it. And we finally settled on the word reflecting. Why? Because we're not the transforming grace. We're not the transformative truth. We don't have all the answers. We're just following the answer. We chose the word reflecting because that's all we can do. You know, you've experienced it on a really brilliant full moon. You can walk anywhere you want and you can see by the light of the moon No, by the light of the sun.
that the moon is reflecting. So what do we do? We reflect the redeeming grace and the transforming truth of Jesus Christ right here and everywhere we go. And that redeeming grace and transforming truth will change the world. It always has, and it always will. And you can be a part of it. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for calling us. Thank you for choosing us. We, we didn't have the ability to choose you, but you called us, and, and you gave us the choice to follow, and we, we did. I thank you for um, allowing us that choice. I also thank you for those people who may be here this morning who haven't made the choice. I thank you that they were here. I thank you that perhaps in their hearts they've been stirred and they wonder, what would it be like? What would it be like to experience that redeeming grace, that transforming truth. Lord, for those people who may be in that situation, we, we know that it's you that's drawing them. And we know that we are here to help them take the next step. So I pray that you will uh, lead them to step forward to talk to one of us or a friend about receiving that redeeming grace. Or I pray, Lord, that right now they will, for the first time, say, Lord, I get it. I can't. I'm not good enough. Self-redemption is not a possibility. So please take me, Lord. Redeem me. Here's what we know for sure, Lord. If we pray that prayer, you will do it. Allow the rest of us, Lord, who have known you for years, to say it again. To acknowledge the reality that we were once rescued by you. And we need to continue to be rescued by you. Because we fall so many times, rescue us again from ourselves and help the transforming truth of Jesus Christ to overwhelm our lives. And then, Lord, make us people that reflect that to the world. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.